0: The title of that series is called The Toughest Job on Earth. And so for June 24th and then the next weekend, July 1st, we're going to be talking about the topic of parenting. And uh, maybe you can relate to that, that. You feel like sometimes it's the toughest job on earth, whether you have young kids or old kids. I was talking to a family last night, and and they've got all, uh, adult children, and, and they were basically saying it's the toughest job on earth, right? And so whether even whether you have kids or not, the principles that we're going to look at in this series I think are going to be really helpful uh, to you so I uh, would ask make it a priority let's come together let's look to God's word and let's say, hey we want to be a church that continues to pour into the lives of the next generation and so uh, so yeah I would in- encourage you to come maybe even bring a friend uh, for that series next weekend we are going to do a q and a session as well with that that uh, morning and so you're going to be getting an invitation this week via email and then through all the avenues of social social media, uh, to be able to submit a question or two. Uh, Maybe you have a topic that you'd just love to hear the perspective of another parent on. And so you'll have an opportunity to uh, submit those uh, questions, and and I would encourage you, if you've got something that you'd just love to hear another perspective on, uh, take advantage of that this coming week, and we'll do our best to answer those uh, for you. So um, I want to say, dads, uh, happy Father's Day uh, to you. Uh, We're uh, we're proud of you. I, I just... I want to take an opportunity really just to say on many fronts, uh, thank you to many of you dads. Um, On multiple fronts, you guys inspire my faith in many ways. You push my life. You you challenge me. You bring me encouragement um, by the way that you live. And um, and as dads this morning, we just want to say, well done. Um, Thank you. I want to say that. Thank you for how you shape this uh, family, this church community that we get to call Brookside. And so we appreciate you. Um, I also want to say this this morning on the front end. For some of you, Father's Day uh, can be filled with a ton of joy because you remember maybe a dad that was really good to you, a great father figure, or you celebrate one that's with you today. But for others of you, Father's Day, you would say maybe is a, and actually it's quite a different story for you. Maybe you're the son or the daughter of someone that instead of being a protector and a provider, they were quite the opposite for you. And, um, and that's hard for you. And so even when a day like this comes around where we celebrate dads, It brings, actually, it brings you quite a bit of pain. Or maybe you've had the horrible experience of losing a child, and so this day becomes hard for you, as many are. Or maybe you're reminded um, even just of an unmet desire that you've had. Or maybe you had a father, but he was completely absent from you. And uh, so I just want to say to you this morning... If that's you, and if we could just have the opportunity even just to pray for you after this service, I would be honored to just to listen to you and, and then to pray with you. If that would uh, be helpful and meet a need in your life, uh, we'd be honored to do so. So I'll be kind of right over in that area afterwards if, if that would be helpful uh, to you. But today I'm really excited about where we're going to be going in the scriptures. We're going to be going to the Old Testament uh, book of Esther. And We're going to learn from a good father figure this morning. We're going to look at a dad that I believe we're going to all be able to look at and go, wow, that's a picture of fatherhood that that we really want to hold out. That's a picture of fatherhood that we want to be able to even model some of the things that we do in our lives around. But before we get there, we'll talk a whole lot more about that and that dad that we're going to look at. But Before we get there, what I'd love to do is just pray together, but I specifically want to pray for the dads and the grandfathers that are here today. And so if you're a father or a grandfather, uh, would you even right now, would you stand with me? And uh, we just want to honor you and pray for you and pray a blessing on you. So dads, if you'd stand up with me, that would be great. Yeah, awesome. I know there's even some generations represented here. Uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, so, so yeah, let's, let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And the first thing that we want to say is, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you that you are our good Father. Lord, thank you that you are holy, that you are faithful, that you are just. Lord, thank you that you are the honorable example that we get to follow. Lord, thank you that when you look at these men and when you look at this church, Lord, you are not absent. But God, you are so present. When you look at these men, you think of not... Uh, negative things even for their lives but God you're the you're a good father and so you look at their lives and you have great hopes and dreams and you look at their lives and you say to us Lord that you are for us and God we thank you for that what a reality and so Lord as a church now we pray a blessing over these men we pray that you would bless and keep them we pray that you would make your face to shine upon them Lord that their days would be good We pray that you would pour out your grace on them, that they would experience more and more of you even today, we pray. And Lord, now as we look to an example in the scriptures, Lord, for all of us, we just ask, Lord, speak to us, God. We pray that we wouldn't hear from Jeff today, but we'd hear straight from the spirit of God. And Lord, that's my greatest prayer for these men, is that the spirit of God, Lord, that they would realize that you are alive and well inside of them. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen, amen. You may be seated. Well today we're going to look at this father figure in the Old Testament and uh, as we do, um, I want to encourage you, uh, particularly if you're a note taker, um, I want to encourage you, you're going to be able to write down four things, four takeaways today and I think it's true, maybe even more true than ever. I think as people, we need heroes these days. We need people that we can look to and we can say, that's a person that's noble. That's a man that's noble. That's a woman that's noble. And I can look at that and I can look at their character and their life and their legacy. And I can go, I want to model some of the things of my life after them. I believe we're going to get one of those this morning. And so as we go through this passage, whether you're a father, whether you're a student, or whether you're a single adult, I would ask you to ask a very simple question. Here it is. Lord, what do you want to say to me this morning? Because here's what I believe. I believe if we'll go to God's word like that, when we gather as a community, when we, when we say, God, would you teach us? I believe when we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I need you. Lord, you are a good God and I want to sit under your teaching. and I want to hear from you. I believe when we say, God, what do you have for me? I believe God answers those kinds of questions. And so if you've got a Bible this morning, let's go with that kind of a posture. Let's go to the book of Esther. So go ahead and flip there now and, um, or click there on an app. Uh, just make your way there. That would be great. Uh, if you have uh, a Bible, you might have a hard time actually finding the book of Esther. So if you get to the book of Psalms, you've actually gone a little bit too far. So just back up a couple books and you'll hit the book. Of Esther. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in the company of someone, and as you listened to them talk, as you were just even around them, you realized that they had a whole lot to share and that you had a whole lot to learn? Have you ever had that, one of those experiences? I was in a small gathering a couple of months ago with a group of other pastors about my age. All these pastors had recently uh, transitioned into the lead pastor role of the church that they served in, serve in, and, and it was a real gift that day because we were being mentored by a man who had poured his life into building a thriving church for decades, like Brookside's founding pastor, Steve. This man and his wife, like Steve and Becky, he had faithfully served this church and in the process seen God do amazing things in their, in their midst. And so as I sat there with these other new lead pastors in this small gathering, I quickly realized this was going to be a day of learning, a lot of learning. And so I thought to myself, I hope my pen is new because we're about to spread some ink on the pages, right? Because there was a lot this guy was going to say. Have you ever had an experience like that? Have you ever had an experience where you just thought, wow, I, I wish I could just download all of this very quickly because I'm getting such good wisdom. I believe you're going to look at the life of the person we're going to see this morning and you're going to say that. I think you're going to walk away. I was telling Christina that this week. I said, I'm learning so much about this character in the scriptures I've really never dove into before. And Matt, he's pushing my life in a very good way. We're going to learn from a guy this morning by the name of Mordecai. And I really believe this. If we'll humbly go before the Lord this morning, I believe God's going to speak to us. Let me ask you, if I were to ask you, hey, think throughout history at people who have changed the course of history by one of their actions or by some of their words. Who comes to mind? Who do you think of when I say for on the good front? Who are the people that come to mind when you think of history changers? People that did great things, whether it was through their actions or their courage. They changed history by the things that they did. The man that we'll look at today was one of those guys. He literally was a history changer set in the 5th century. But before he was a history changer, and you're going to see this this morning, he was a faithful consistent and generous with his life kind of guy. And so I hope even, especially dads this morning, that you leave here. Not beat up. That's not our aim at all ever on Father's Day, to beat up the dads. But I hope that you come here today and you go, God's word inspired my faith today. Uh, God learned something from that man that I want to be true of my life. Now make no mistake about this. We're going to look at this guy named Mordecai. But I want you to know this. He was far from a perfect man. He wasn't a perfect father. He wasn't a perfect leader, but he did have this. He had influence into this life of this adopted, adopted daughter, and it is noteworthy, the influence that he had into to her life. Now, make no mistake, he had his bumps in the road. He had some regrets. He made some mistakes. But here's the thing that I think you're going to see as we journey through, through the book of Esther today. He lived, this guy Mordecai, lived with this long-term trajectory, that's what his life was set on, that he was saying, I want to honor God with my life, even when it's hard. I want to honor God with my life, even when it's not easy. You're going to see that in this book. Now, if you've ever read the book of Esther, um, you know this, it doesn't end maybe how you think it would end. You might assume that since it's called the Book of Esther, that it would naturally end talking about the main character Esther. It's not true. The end of this book actually spotlights not Esther but this man Mordecai. So I want to take you actually to the end of the book first. Look with me at chapter ten, verses one through three. Says this: says King Xerxes. It says imposed tribute throughout the, the throughout the empire to its distant shores. And all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, whom the king had promoted, are they not written in the book of Annals of the kings of Media and Persia? So this account of Mordecai, know this church, is not just written in the Bible. This is also very historical. Verse 3. Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to the king Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews, and held in high esteem by many fellow Jews, because here it is, in not so many words, this is what this guy's life was all about because he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. Now, that might not sound too mind blowing to you. Okay, he, he worked for the good of his people and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. That might not sound like, whoa, yeah, mm, that, that's the word. That's what God had for me today. That's what I needed to know. But here's the deal. When you look at the end of his life and that that's what was said about him, but when you work your way backwards now with the end in mind, you're going to see why this man is worth looking at this morning. So if you're taking notes, the first thing that you're going to see about this man, I'll tell you that actually in just a second. You're going to see that he was very, very uh, other-centered, but you could even say it like this. Let me show you this first point. Here it is. His orientation was the good of others. So when you think about the, the, the life of Mordecai, go right to the end of his life. What was kind of, you could say, what was his epithet? What was the thing that would be written on his tombstone? Very concisely, he worked for the good of others. His orientation, the way he lived his life, was he was thinking, what's in the best interest of other people? It says this in chapter 2, verse five, verses 5 through 7. We get introduced to him. Here it is. It says, now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew... ...of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Among those taken captive with Jehoiachin, king of Judah, Mordecai had a cousin named Hadashah whom he had brought up because, here it is, she had neither father nor mother. This young woman, who was also known as Esther, had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Mordecai had taken her as his own daughter when her father and mother died. Now, we don't know all the details of the story of Mordecai. We don't know all the details of the story of Esther. We don't know how this came about. We don't know how her parents died. We don't know the story behind that. But we do know this. Mordecai saw a need. Mordecai was her older cousin and he stepped in as her foster or now it really looks like as her adoptive father. You know, as I thought about this story, as I thought about this man, I couldn't help but think of the 46 children that many of you served just, just days ago at Royal Family Kids Camp. These, those were kids, they are kids like Esther. I thought of many of you, you've adopted children or you're fostering children right now. You're ministering, you're helping kids that were in the very same position as Esther. Now, Mordecai, he saw a need. He saw a need in the life of someone else. And what did he do? He oriented his life around the good of others. And I think that first point begs the question for us this morning. What are we living for? What are we living for? Are we living for things, for causes that will outlive us? Is that where our sights are set? Or are our minds on just kind of building our own little kingdom? Or are we saying, what could I do with my life that would have an impact well beyond my life? As I studied the life of this guy this week, it led me to some healthy self-reflection. Helped me ask some hard questions of myself. Notice that it says this then in in verses 5 and 6. And this really leads us, I think, to some very important context for this passage. It says, Mordecai, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem. And then it says this, among those taken captive. In other words, Mordecai is with a group of people that have been exiled. So the context here is very important. If you're going to understand kind of the flow of this passage You also kind of need to back up and go, okay, exactly historically, what is going on in this text? Here it is. The people of God, their backs are against the wall. A little bit about this backstory. If you read through the Old Testament, you find this. You find that land and kings were very important to God's people. You find that God delivered on his promises to his people, that he gave them the promised land. He also gave them a king. God was faithful to the people of God. But the people of God, in turn, were not always faithful to him. And so we see that they start worshiping other gods, they rebel, they do all sorts of things. That they say, hey, God, even though you've been faithful to me, and we can relate to this, can't we? They say, no, you know what, I'm not always going to be faithful to you. And so they consistently rebelled. And so as a good father does, God doesn't let his people run off the rails. Just like he promised, God steps in and he corrects them and he disciplines them. And we see this, you read through the Bible, you see this. You see that God disciplines them and he takes them out of the promised land and they're conquered by foreign powers, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. It's actual history you can read about. And then in the book of Esther, here's what we learn. We're right in the midst of their exile. This is the late 5th century. God's people, you think of it like this, they've been exiled and now they're not under the kind of leadership that they want to be under. Now they're under foreign leadership and you can bet that this was a hard time. This was not easy. It was volatile. It was difficult. It would have felt very hopeless to them. I want to show you this map just to help you understand. Again, a little bit of context here. This is what the exile would have been like. This is where it would have taken them. <clears throat> they're from Jerusalem, right here. See Judah and <clears throat> Jerusalem. So, this is where they're from. Watch the, 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 uh, the red arrow here. This is where they're taken, all the way over here to Babylon. That's how far they traveled in the midst of their exile, taken from their land all the way over here. And they are, you could say, they are captive, they are refugees. They are in a place that is not comfortable. Now, the distance from here and the way that they went, that's 900 miles. That's from here to Chicago and back. You think you had a long summer vacation with your in-laws. This was, it was worse. This was a long, this is captivity. These are refugees. This is very, very difficult. And in the midst of this, in the midst of new leadership, in the, the midst of being a refugee and an exile and a people that are really, they're in a very tough place, we see the story of this beautiful girl named Esther. And she's strong, and she's a Jewish girl. And God, as only God can do, raises her up to be the queen. And, and she displays her faith, and she, she lives with such courage and passion. And you read about it, and you go, I want that. But what's so interesting about her, before she could do that, And before she even had the platform to do that, we see that there was a man in her life, and it was her dad. It was her adoptive father. And he was pouring things into her that were helpful to her. He was living with a focus on the good of others. And then in Esther chapter 1, then we see this. This is kind of how the story unfolds, and I'll kind of just speed you through it. Esther chapter 1 we see how Esther, how she really comes to, to leadership. It's a really, it's a crazy story. There's this king, his name's King Xerxes, and he's really, he's flaunting his, his power. His power's on display before his people. He holds this big banquet, he invites all the who's who's of the land. So they come, and it, I mean, it's a party, and it's a long, drawn out party. It's an open bar in the, the who's who's of the town. They are drunk. I mean, that's the kind of party that this is, and it goes on for a long time, and then they get to the end of this party, this festival, and he decides, everything that I have is on display. And the people think that I'm so great, and I'm so powerful, and I'm so wealthy, but the one thing they have yet to see is my beautiful wife. And so he says, men, don't do this at a a, a gathering. Don't do this in your small group. He says, hey, honey, King Vashti, Why don't you come out and why don't you parade yourself in front of the people? And then they'll think the king is even greater because you are so, so beautiful. And she has some sense about her. She realizes, well, that's a foolish request and I won't have anything to do with it. So she says, no. Now imagine in that day day, day and age doing that. And so she refuses, but that doesn't sit well as you can imagine with the king. And it particularly doesn't sit well with his entire entourage. And so this is what happens. Look with me at verse 19 of chapter 1. It says this, they get all upset, and, you know, there's a, this is a big deal. So it says, therefore, this is, the, this, is, this is the news. If it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree in light of what she's just done, and let it be written in the laws of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed. So this is a major deal, that Vashti, this is his wife, Is never again to enter the presence of the king Xerxes. Also, let the king give her royal position to someone else who is better than she. Whoa, big news. And so the queen is out. The party's over. And now the hunt is on for a new queen. Into the storyline comes Esther. Now, the king's attendants, his personal attendants, they say this. They say, hey, let's find you a new queen. Let's look at all the gals and and all the kingdoms and let's bring them before you. We'll find the most beautiful one. And so really, it's just this big, prolonged, intense beauty pageant. Imagine it. It's really weird, actually. So Esther, what does she do? She finds favor very quickly in the search process. And early in the process, she, uh, you see, actually lived out the power of her father. You see it come to life very quickly in her life. He led her with wisdom. He led her because he had in his mind, he led her well because he had in his mind what is going to be best for her. He had that in mind from the start. So it says this in chapter 2, it says, Esther had not revealed her nationality and her family background because Mordecai he let her, had forbidden her to do so. Every day he walked back and forth near the, court, near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Takeaway number two, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd encourage you. To, here it is. Mordecai, what did he do? He earned the right to speak to her. He earned the right to speak to Esther. He earned the right. Notice what he's doing there. And you know how this is true. You don't take someone's words seriously unless you respect them do you but we know this when esther got to that point when she was brought in and, and she began the beauty pageant process and she was going through the different steps he had commanded her don't you talk about your lineage that'll cause you trouble that, you know i've trusted that'll that'll work out itself out later he led her with wisdom and then it says this, we see that he, she listened to him when we know she listened well to him. It, later it says that she continued to follow Mordecai's instructions as she had done when he was bringing her up. Esther heeded his instruction. And I think this might be why. Notice what Mordecai was doing. It says that he was pacing back and forth. It might be the example of the very first helicopter parents. I don't, I don't know. But he was... He was there, wasn't he? He was present. He was engaged. He couldn't leave the the courtyard because he wanted to know, Esther, how are you doing? He was there. Dad's your greatest gift to your child, the greatest thing that might pay off the most for you in their life. It might seem mundane, but it might just be your consistency. Mordecai chose to be present Mordecai chose to be highly engaged. And when the rubber met the road, she chose to listen to him. And I believe a lot of that had to do with the fact that she was very familiar with him because he was there and he was present. I've heard it said this way, your greatest contribution in life may not be what you do, but it might just be who you raise. You might just be raising an Esther. Think about that. I love it. I love that in this church there are fathers who who actively listen to their kids. I love that I'm challenged by some of you because you're so present. I love it when I hear that some of you dads, you have to travel a lot, but I love it when I hear about, man, you take the red eye home so you can get to the game. I applaud you for that. I, I love it that there's men in this church that you're seeking, okay, how do I lead well at home? What does that look like? How can I be as present as possible? And not just there, but how can I have meaningful influence How can I take interest in the life of my children, admire their differences, admire how God made them up, and then figure out how they can flourish? Mordecai's speaking truth into her her life, and it's paid off. So Esther, back to her. She's in the final round now of the beauty pageant, and Again, it's just bizarre if you read about it. I encourage you to. It's like a soap opera, really. I watched Days of Our Lives growing up with my grandma. I don't know why she did that to me, but it's kind of like that. But um, so she finally, Esther, appears to the king, before the king. And sure enough, the king is way attracted to her. I mean, he loves her more than any of these other gals that have come before him. And so she becomes the new queen. Now, meanwhile, in chapter 3... And, and we'll look at takeaway number three here in a second. But let me read to you what happens in, in chapter three, verses one through four. It says this. It says, after these events, so she's been made queen, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamandatha the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all of the other nobles. So the beauty pageants happened, and now there's just kind of a side story here, but it's important, verse two. It says all the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down to this guy Haman and they paid him honor for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Then the royal officials, verse 3, at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him but he refused to comply. He would not bow down. They... Therefore, they told Haman about it to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, which you can imagine it wouldn't, for he had told them that he was a Jew. Takeaway number three, here it is. He feared God above all. Mordecai feared God. I think this number three is the most important one. I think it sets the stage for every other thing we learn about Mordecai. It's the foundation, it's the groundwork. Mordecai was the guy that when he was approached by this man that had a lot of power, had a lot of authority, had the ability to really take take Mordecai and say, hey, I've put other guys on a pole, killed them, impaled them. I can do that to you, Mordecai. But in the midst of that, what did Mordecai do? He stood his ground and he said this, no, 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 my God is my God. I will not worship you have you ever noticed this? When you put God in his right place, a lot of other things naturally fall into place. Have you ever noticed that to be true? Have you ever noticed that when you, when you seek, I just want to please Jesus Christ. Like if you go through one day even and you say, my goal today is to please Jesus Christ. Have you ever noticed how well it goes for you at work? And I don't mean that you're just blessed and you get a bunch of gift of cash. Or, I don't mean that. But I mean in the relationships, in the motives, in the things of the heart, in the things that matter most. Have you ever noticed that when you put God in his right place, that's the place to be? Mordecai knew that. And so his beliefs carried his actions. Again, I believe this is the most important one. I think if you and I can get to the end of our days and someone can say of you, she feared God. And I don't mean was scared of God, but she honored God. She exalted God. She lived for God above anything else. I think it's the best thing someone could say of you. He was a man of noble character, and he did this and this and that, and he achieved this, and he has these little, you know, uh, letters behind his name. But most of all, he feared God. He held God in high esteem. That's our aim. You know, I think of many of the many different men in this church, and I think of even some of you. You found Jesus Christ later in your life, and you've said this. I love how you articulate this. You say, "When Jesus Christ got a hold of my life." Everything changed because you began to live life differently. You began to think differently. You began to treat your relationships differently. You thought of your stuff differently, and it wrecked you in a very good way. Mordecai feared God above all. Okay, fast forward now in the storyline, and you find out that Haman, this, this guy that was promoted, his anger rages at Mordecai. He's so furious. He desires to kill Mordecai, but in addition to that, He thought, hey, I'm not just going to kill Mordecai because I've heard that Mordecai's a Jew. I'm actually going to try to annihilate all the Jews. Let's not just get rid of Mordecai. Let's get rid of this entire people group. So this, obviously, that word gets out. It's actually an edict in the books. He goes to the king. He says, king, what do you think? The king says, okay, great. Just goes with it. As you can imagine, this sends Mordecai into a tailspin. He goes into a period of mourning. Esther finds out why. So Mordecai then goes to Esther through her attendants that are, you know, taking care of her, and he says this, he says, you've got to go before the king, Esther, and you've got to plead. You've got a voice, and you need to go before the king, and you need to plead. You need to ask for mercy. And she says this, she responds, don't you understand, Mordecai, dad? If I approach the king and I haven't been summoned, it's a death sentence for me. If I approach the king, if I enter into to his court, if I approach him without him summoning me to that place, that's death for me. And then this is where I believe the rubber really meets the road, and it leads us to takeaway number four. Look with me at chapter four, verse 12. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, so when she said to him, no, I can't. He sent back this answer. Notice how straight he talks to her, how direct he speaks to her. He says, Do you think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape? For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time. Has this takeaway number four here it is she embraced a grander vision mordecai lived with this sense that okay when i look at you esther you're my daughter but i'm not just looking at you as my daughter i'm looking you through the, the glens that i'm going to embrace not my fear but i'm going to embrace a grander vision now do you think mordecai was afraid that day you better believe it he's talking about his daughter he's saying to his daughter go before the king go ahead Take a chance. It's worth the risk. I think he was probably scared to death, but he had a grander vision. He looked at his fear in the eye, and he thought, okay, I trust my God, and there's something more important. It pushed me this week to say this. When I look at my own children, what's the grander vision? And am I speaking it into them? Am I saying, am I putting thoughts into their mind of God could use you like this? Am I saying those kinds of things to them? It also made me ask this question. Men, what are we afraid of? Men, what are the things that that you just, they they hold you back. You're afraid of them. They, They push you away from God's purpose. What are the things that you actually need to step back in the ring on? You need to say, though I'm afraid, I will trust my good God, and I will pursue the things that God has called me to. Let's be a church that leans in. I love Mordecai. He had a grander picture He looked at this next generation. Let's be the kind of church that does this. And we don't paint for them a small picture, but we paint for them such a big picture of what God could do that the alternative seems too small. A grand vision. I love this. An author out in L.A., and he's a pastor as well, Erwin McManus. He's actually going to speak at the Leadership Summit. I can't wait to hear him speak at that. He recently wrote this, this book, though, called The Last Arrow. Uh, we're actually bribing our kids to listen to it this summer. But he makes this powerful statement. Um, he's speaking about the fears that we often face. And I think, men, we face fears a lot, don't we? He's, that he's speaking about fears that, that keep people from stepping into the promises of God and living the way that God longs for us to live. And so he makes this statement. He says, there comes a time and a place when you have to decide, this is worth fighting for. This is where I stand. This is who I am. This is the life I have chosen. I will not run. I will not allow fear to move me from where I should be to where it wants me to live. I would rather die facing the challenge than exist running from it. And then he goes on to say, do our feet mark where fear has driven us or where faith is taking us? Isn't that powerful? I love the story of Mordecai because he trusted God and he said, I'm going to embrace my fear because I know that my God can do something more significant than where my fear would take me. And so, Esther, I'm not going to just speak softly to you. I'm not just going to watch you grow up. I'm just not going to watch you lead. I'm actually going to speak into you. and I'm going to push you to embrace God's plan for your life, even though that scares me to death. And then look what happened next. It says this in 415. It says, then Esther set this re- sent this reply to Mordecai. She said, go, you gather all the Jews who are in Susa, and you fast for me, Mordecai, and all, all the people. He says, do not, She said, do not eat or drink for, for three days, night or day. She's worried. She's scared to death. We need God here. I and my attendants will fast as you do, and when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. It's her moment. But think of all the faithfulness of this faithful father that helped her get to that moment. Chapter 8, verse 5. And if it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor, and if he thinks it is the right thing to do, and if it is... If it is pleased, if if he is pleased with me, let an order be written. She's before the king now, overruling the dispatches that Haman, son of Hamadetha the Agagite, devised and wrote to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For we oh, sorry, for how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people, and how can I bear to see the destruction of my family? She takes the chance. She says the words. She musters up the courage, not in herself, but in her God. What laid the foundation for her that day? It was time seeking her God. The king grants her request. Mordecai is honored. And then it says this in chapter 8, verse 16. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy and joy. And gladness and honor. And in every province and in every city to which the edict of the king came, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Mordecai, a father, a hero, a life well lived. Look at these four things that he did. And I just want to ask you this question. Let's go back to the, where we started. What's the one thing that God might have for you today? Not to beat you up over the head, but just to say, I want to encourage you in this. I want to stretch you in this because I'm for you, dads. God says, I believe in you. I want you to flourish, all of us. Mordecai's orientation was the good of others. Mordecai earned the right to speak. Imagine that if you showed up in your, your child's life, whether they're young or old, and you showed up so consistently in the mundane, imagine you having the abilities to speak into their life when it matters most. My parents had the ability to speak into my life when it matters most. And I can tell you why. It's because they've showed up in the mundane. What did he do next? He feared God above all. He said, no matter what, I fear God. God, you are my leader. God, you are the one that I want to please. I'm not out to please my daughter. I'm not out to please her her parents or even necessarily honor them through this. My top aim, I hope all of that happens My top aim, though, he said, I fear God above all else. And then lastly, he looked at her life, and he embraced a grander vision. He looked fear in the eye, and he said this, I believe God has something greater. And I just wonder if some of the next generation right in our church, whether they're your children or not, God's been laying a young man on my heart who's not one of my kids. But just whenever I see him, I've been encouraged, speak life into this young boy. Speak life into him. What impact could you and I have in, in the lives of the next generation if we said, you know what, I'm going to embrace a grander vision for them? Church, let's go to God now and let's just say, Lord, these four things that we learned from Mordecai. First, thank you. But then, secondly, Lord, which one do you have for me? So, yeah, let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, thank you for this story. Thank you for this man. Thank you, Lord, that in a day where we need a hero, in a day where we need an example, Lord, thank you that we get one through this guy. And so, Lord, we humbly submit our lives to Jesus Christ, and we just say to you now, Lord, would you help us be a church where we model these things? Lord, would you help us be the kind of men and women that it would be said of us, oh, they're people of big faith. They're people that honor God. They're people that honor God above all things. They look fear in the eye, and they keep moving. Oh, they're the kind of people that they earn the right to speak into the next generation because they care about them. Oh, they're the kind of people that they orient their life around the good of others. Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for how you encourage us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.